This is Mary Celeste Bell. Welcome to the Blackberry Podcast, where we'll dive into stories and knowledge of the incredible people that are part of the Blackberry story. You'll hear from longtime friends, amazing visiting personalities, and our own inspired team members. Chef Jeremiah Langhorn visited Blackberry Farm as the guest chef for our Taste of Summer event. Moderated by writer Jennifer Justice, guests enjoyed a conversation with Chef Langhorn where he shared thoughtful insight on encouraging the next generation of food industry professionals and what he hopes to see in the future for the culinary industry. Okay, so I'm curious, what is, what's inspiring you these days and also what has inspired you so far about this weekend, about this experience? Those two kind of tie together because I was going to say that just being here is very inspiring to me. I spent um, a lot of time cooking and not being in cities. So when we moved to DC and opened the Dabney, I think that um, I didn't understand the impact that not being able to be out in nature as often is going to have on me. And being able to come to places like this and just walking around, seeing trees, nature, it's one of the most inspirational things for me for cooking. So it's really, really wonderful seeing the garden. We went foraging, casting different foraging for chanterelles. We've had a wonderful time and that, I would say, is the number one kind of most inspirational thing is when I can get out in nature and kind of see how things actually grow and work. And, you know, I think a lot of people don't understand there's a huge disconnect in a lot of kitchens if you don't have that, you know, if you don't put that work in and have relationships with your farmers and your purveyors and you don't go visit them and see them, you know, a lot of people grow up just thinking that vegetables come in a box and that's uh, obviously not at all how they work, so. You know, nature's great, being here is great. I think I had some asparagus last night that you all had. Yeah, picked out of the garden. Yeah, it was great. Out of the garden. Yeah. Um, yeah, I had not even been into the refrigerator. It's so nice when, I mean, it, when you can, I think that anybody that's has, had this experience will know this, but when you can eat something out of the garden, that is the temperature that it's growing at, it is especially strawberries are a big one, asparagus is a big one. Something happens to the texture of especially vegetables and produce when it is gone through the cycle of being refrigerated and then brought out of the refrigerator again. So it's the holy grail for a lot of chefs is being able to get those things to people the way that we get to taste them and the way that we get to try them. So, you know, having a great chef who, who knows that and pays attention to that is a really special treat to have, you know. I get those asparagus too, they're very tasty. So can you talk a little bit about regional cooking and why and how it's important to you? Because I know it's important here as well. Yeah, of course. I think that regional cooking is important for a number of reasons. I'll kind of drop into kind of three categories. Number one, I think that fundamentally, if you want to be a good chef, freshness is something that you have to be concerned with. And you are not going to be able to get better quality than what is growing around you as long as provided you, you find the right partners and have that direct relationship where you can get things so quickly um, and not have them have to be mailed or flown halfway around the world to get to you. So I think that just, you know, from a fundamental proximity and freshness point of view, I think that regional cooking is very important because you're going to be able to have access to higher quality, fresher items. Um, number two, food is a big part of our identity as people, and I think that we often forget that, and I think that we don't pay enough attention to it. And 
you know, I find that out the hard way because it's very difficult when you're in this business to have any sort of separation of church and state from work and, and off time because eating is something that you do every single day. There's never going to be a day where you don't eat food for the most part, you know, so having that, that connection, I think, you know, once you realize it and you realize the importance of it and how much it ties in to culture and to our society, I think that it just has a, a really big impact and when you can have that that association with it and you can believe in it and have something that you set traditions with and build on, I just think it's a really wonderful thing that helps, you know, make life enjoyable, be a wonderful, you know, aspect to the way you live. So that's the second major region. And then I would say that for me, just as a chef and a student of history, I've, you know, when you look at other great food cultures around the world, they're all regional. You know, whether you're looking at Japan, China, France, Italy, it's all incredibly regional for the, the same reasons that I just mentioned. And I think that America is just very young and we haven't grown into that yet. So, you know, a big part of the reason why we opened the Dabney and what we wanted to do with it was showcase the Mid-Atlantic and really have a place that had no choice but to be a reflection of the region. And that's why we source the way that we do and do a lot of things that we do because Hopefully in 50 years from now or 100 years from now, people will start to look at the U.S. more distinctly in those areas. We obviously have some regions now that people are starting to pay more attention to, but uh, I think there's a lot more to be discovered and hopefully people focus more in on those specific regions and what they have to offer because I think that's how you get, you know, as guests and, and, and customers, I think it's how you get the best food. So it's, uh, it's a really... Um, I think important part of the development of the food culture of America for us to really focus on regional cuisine. Yeah, I used to get um, kind of annoyed with, you know, when people would talk about, people outside the South in particular would talk about Southern food. Yep. And, you know, there's so many different types of Southern food. And because I grew up in, in Appalachia, right where the Appalachian Trail starts in Georgia, this is the first place that I ever came that people treated Appalachian cuisine is like important and I, yep. my mind was blown. We had a muscadine vinaigrette and I remember a, you know, some uncle that made muscadine wine that was terrible, you know, and so this was like treatment of that type of food to, that, um, I don't know, gave it its, its proper yeah, due. gave I it respect it. and, it, you know, yeah. it deserves respect and we have so many good little pockets all around that really are awesome. And that's just part of the way that I grew up too in Virginia. You know, I have relatives that do a apple butter festival in Front Royal in the mountains every year. And, and it's not an actual festival because it's just family that comes, but it's like 80 or 100 people with the friends and everybody else that comes there. And they all bring the apples that grow in their property, they cook them down, and then they pass it out at the end of it and just have a, I usually barbecue a bunch of meat and we all hang out and it's just like this, I mean, it's been going on forever. And it's just the idea of kind of sharing that. And the same thing happens with sorghum lots of times and a lot of other things. And it's a, a great thing that really brings identity to the area and to the region. And we all kind of form those memories and connections, which I think is, is a really important part of living. So talking about Virginia, I had the opportunity to hear about your background the other night at dinner and how you really got started so early yeah. um, in food. Can you talk a little yeah, bit about that? Yeah, I have kind of a, a, a funny and very non-glamorous uh, origin story in cooking, I guess. But I started uh, 
working, I guess my first, technically speaking, I started working at McDonald's when I was 14, but that wasn't for any culinary purpose. <laughs> uh, that was just for a job. And then um, I guess by the time I was 16, I had started delivering pizzas at this little strip mall pizza joint. And one night when I was done with my shift, I was going through and putting my stuff away and I looked in the back and the guys in the back were just throwing stuff into a pan and kind of having a good time and it just struck me, I guess that I hadn't, I mean, I was 16 so I didn't exactly have a lot of experience on earth, but um, it struck me that they were just throwing stuff together and I asked them, what are you doing? And they're like, oh, we're coming up with a new dish. And I was like, well, what do you mean coming up with a new dish? Don't you just follow recipes when you cook? I literally thought that everyone just followed a recipe. I didn't think about the creative aspect. And they're like, no, we're just coming up with a new one. So I asked them immediately, I was like, can I swap from delivering pizzas to working in here? And they were like, sure, yeah, no problem. And uh, I started working there and luckily enough, the guy who was running the kitchen there was like, look, if you really care about food and cooking, this is not the place to work. I have a friend who actually has a good restaurant that you can go work at, but you need to start staging there on your days off and kind of proving that you're, you know, worth hiring and then eventually maybe you can get hired. And that was um, a great place. I really lucked out. The chef and owner there is this British guy and he had a very, a very good background in classic French cooking. And he kind of took the responsibility on of taking me and uh, training me and you know culinary school wasn't going to be an option for me so it was uh it was kind of my version of culinary school and you know i'm grateful to him to this day because he really whipped me in shape and, and taught me a lot of the basics and there's just a really good staff there that just really guided me along so i really was lucky in that respect and then also really importantly picked up the idea that if you really want to learn how to cook the way you should do it is just find a chef that you respect and you think is doing things great. Do whatever you can to get into that kitchen and work there until you've learned everything you can learn from them and then find another one. And when you stop finding those chefs, it's probably time for you to open your own place. So that's kind of the process that I use to get, get educated in cooking. We were talking to about apprenticeships and that kind of thing and how you want to talk at all about how that's kind of changed? Um, yeah, I mean, I, I think that I think that America should certainly start to recognize just different vocations a little bit more, especially more hands-on ones. I think that we, you know, we have this huge emphasis on trying to get everybody to go into, you know, the three big ones: it's law, medicine, or finance. And I think that a lot of kids grow up with a lot of pressure to go into those fields and I think that we don't do a good enough job to allow people to kind of focus on these other trades because there's a lot of people who are passionate, it can be anything, you could you know, be a mechanic or you know, a plumber, they're all professions that are needed and a big part of how society works and runs and if somebody finds that connection to them and loves doing them, you can become successful in any field. It's not a matter of whether or not you're going to be successful or not. It, you know, it's a matter of hard work whether or not you're going to be successful in the field. So I think that you know, when you look towards Europe and the way that they work, and they will start to get kids in, you know, they call it catering school, but in cooking school much earlier, just because they're allowed to kind of have that progression and that decision to head that way. And I think that so many times, just from the hundreds of kids that I've talked to over the past 20 years that say, well, you know, my parents really wanted me to go to college, so I went to college and I did all this, but I really hate it. So now I'm here at your door trying to get a job as a cook, you know, starting out minimum wage and, you know, starting that process again. And it's, um, 
you know, it just seems sad that, that there's not the support in some of those fields earlier on to let people, A, not waste all their parents' money on the college, but B, you know, focus on, you know, starting early and getting that jump start and being able to, because when you're, you know, in your late teens, early 20s, I mean, you really have a good opportunity to really put in a lot of work and learn a lot because, A, physically, you're just in much better shape, but B, you know, your brain is still forming and deciding how it's going to be. So if you can find a good mentor early on, especially in cooking, it's a really good opportunity to set you right and move forward. So. I know um, it's a tough industry too, though. So I wanted to talk a little bit about that, especially um, given the pandemic. So I, I wondered um, what you feel like you've learned about the industry, about yourself, about the restaurant through that process and and also what you think how you think the the restaurant industry needs to change and can change moving forward big question yeah yeah great question uh, i mean it's really important i would say that the number one point that i've realized because it was really the first time I and mean, we were very lucky we we got open in late 2015 and it was kind of off to the races and we've been full ever since and when the pandemic hit, it gave my partners and I an opportunity to kind of step back and say, like, what are we, are we happy with the way things are running? Do we like it? What's going on? Like, you know, financially, everything's great, you know, and, and that unfortunately, you know, becomes too often a barometer that you look towards. And if that's going good, then you're happy and you just keep moving, but you don't think about the other pieces that are very important as well. So. It allowed us to really start to take a look at those other pieces, but I think that the best way to sum it up is most people in the industry never thought about themselves, never took the opportunity to care about what their lives were like or what, you know, how their actions were going to affect them down the road and whether or not it was sustainable to live that way and to work those hours. And I think that that's where, you know, things got, uh, you know, a little out of control. I would definitely say that pre-pandemic, you know, in a lot of ways, the pandemic was a good opportunity to kind of look at that big picture and see it because I think that we need to be smarter and we need to, you know, take care of ourselves a lot more. And I think that we need to really think about how we can create a sustainable career that people can come into this. That's my number one, that's the number one thing on my mind post-pandemic is how we can restructure the business to create the opportunities because I don't want to compete with other restaurants for employees, I want to compete with other industries. Why are the best and brightest going into other industries and other places instead of coming into food even though they may love it, you know, because I know a lot of people who are like, it's my passion, I absolutely love it, but can't make the money I want to make, I can't have the hours I want to have, I can't have a family, I can't do all these things, so how do we shift and how do we change to allow those things to happen so that someone can look at coming into this industry and say, you know, I'm happy to get into it for 20 years. And maybe and there'll be something for them at the end of that 20 years too, which I think is a big difference. You know, if you can find great companies to work for, there are definitely some individually, but as an industry as a whole, it's, it's very fractured and there's a lot of different places and different ways that you can work and there's not a lot of um, I don't want to say regulation, but there's not a lot of um, distinct levels and separation. You know, people just kind of categorize restaurants as restaurants. And I think we saw that big time with the pandemic and the way, you know, a lot of things were treated and handled. But there is a very big difference 
between working at some restaurants and others and, and what you're offered and afforded as far as, you know, um, benefits and salaries and all of those things. So, you know, for us, it's, it's job one to figure out how we restructure to get those things squared away and make it a little bit better. And I, I think that the reason why it's so difficult, people are so afraid of doing it is because A, it's going to mean that your prices go up because for way too long, People have charged way too little for what they do, and it's that's born of competition. And the problem is that, you know, normally you would think, okay, well, free market economy, people compete, others fall out and aren't able to do it, so the best will rise to the top. It's not really what happens in restaurants anymore. A lot of the way kind of commercial real estate and development has created some bubbles where people are allowed to open restaurants without really having the funding or without being successful and, they, and they're able to kind of keep going for a few years and they'll eventually close, but it just creates this weird scenario where it doesn't allow that natural process to occur. And I think because of that, it kind of creates a really tough job market and a really tough environment for people to kind of do what they need to do to take care of themselves because there's just so much competition and so many new restaurants, especially, I mean, I'm speaking pre-pandemic, obviously, that were opening and coming up that people constantly felt the pressure to try to offer things at a better price or, you know, better experience, whatever it was. And um, the cost often came behind the scenes and what people were paid or what their work life was like. So I think that's going to be a very big part of moving forward and, and getting things better is just taking better care of ourselves and figuring out how we can transition into a lot of those a lot of those you know, things that are prerequisite in other industries as far as you know, how you're going to be able to retire or move forward or the hours that you work. So you know, I think that'll be important. But the bottom line is no one's going to stop eating dinner at seven o'clock. <laughs> so your hours are always, it's always going to be kind of a nighttime job. There's certain things that you have to deal with. So it'll, it's interesting. I'm excited to see how it develops and changes. So what can we do as people who love food, love restaurants? What what do we need to know? What, what can we do to support these changes that need to happen for it to be sustainable? Because it doesn't seem like it might not be right yeah. now. Well, I think, you know, I mean, every, every guest votes with their dollar every day. So, you know, it's making conscious decisions about the places that you want to go to and the places that you want to support. And you should really kind of see it that way. Now, obviously, like, like I said earlier in the conversation, food is such an integral part of our lives. We don't often get the chance to make those choices. You know, you're in an airport or whatever, you're, you're living your life. But when you do have the opportunity to make those choices, go to the right places that are supporting the right farmers, doing the right thing, giving you the best quality, and, um, and make sure that, you know, you understand that the experience shouldn't be based on coming in and demanding something. You should be going to a place because you're excited about what they do and you respect it and you're excited to have that because you know if you pick the right places, they're just as excited to serve you and, and their whole goal is to make you happy. So I think it's, um, it's just having maybe a little bit more empathy for the time being and understanding kind of what it takes to do certain things. You know, it's like you told me that great story the other night about the the guy that had asked the server 
when he could get his drink before the server had taken the other guest orders at the table. And that's just such a good example of it. And it's like, how could he have physically left the table to get your drink when he's still there taking the orders of the other guests? So that, that you know, it's just, a, it's, I think that's a very good example of the kind of things that happen and people deal with, but it's, um, you know, we also have, most great restaurants have really great guests too. So it's, it balances out. But I think that in general, just having that little bit of, Empathy and kind of putting yourself in, in their shoes and, and being reasonable and understanding those things is, is important, you know, so. So given all of that, what does hospitality mean to you? What does that word mean? How do you express that notion? Yeah, I think that, um, you know, a big part of hospitality for me is, you know, my mom always raised me with a couple of, you know, little sayings that I think were very helpful. And, uh, you know, one of them was just always mind the golden rule, just treat people the way that you want to be treated. And, um, you know, just imagine, you know, if the shoe was on the other foot, you know, and, and what other people are experiencing, what they're going through. And I think that that is those two things. If you think about that and you just really focus in on the way, most people, it's like it's a very good catch all, especially for new people in the industry to talk to them about what matters and, and what's important during a dining experience and hospitality in general. And if you can kind of harness that and put yourself in their mindset and understand it, you're gonna do a much better job just off the rip, which I think is really important. And I think it's also really important just to have standards. I think you know, good training and good standards are really, really important just to make sure that you limit the amount of you know, potential negative interactions if you don't have a good program that puts people into a good, because a lot of people just don't know. You know, when, when you have a restaurant, a hotel, whatever, anybody in the hospitality business, you hire people from all walks of life. It's one of the most mixed industries that you could possibly see. I mean, there's people that have multiple degrees working next to people who barely graduate high school. So it's, it's a very mixed bag. So I think it's on the, the business to really have a robust training program and to have good standards and, and good practices that they, you know, make sure all their staff are squared away because if you don't give people the tools to do the job, they're never going to do it. So I think that there's, there's two sides. There's like the emotional side of it and then there's the, the practical technical side of it. And I think those two things together will result in great hospitality. Where have you um, received great hospitality lately? <laughs> um, where else, maybe? Or, or maybe um, another way to phrase that, like what's a great experience that you've had that just stuck in your mind? There's an experience that I have from when I was a child that always will stick with me. And it was in a not so good restaurant in Virginia Beach. And it was a family vacation. And we were going, and you know how we just get those summer rainstorms sometimes that come out of nowhere. I was going with my, it's my mom, my dad, and my two brothers, there's five of us. And we're going to this place, it's just a, you know, fried seafood beach restaurant. And we get caught in this terrible rainstorm when we, uh, when we go in and when we walk in the door, the hostess took one look at us, they had like, restaurant t-shirts that they had, went to the back, guessed our sizes from looking at us, brought out the t-shirts and was like, why don't y'all go to the bathroom? There was a laundromat that was like two doors down. They took our clothes and threw them in the dryer 
gave us the t-shirts just so that we could be comfortable while we were eating. And this is not the type of place that you would expect that to happen at. That was not, and that was, I, to me, that's like the empathy side of it. You know, she looked at us soaking wet about to have dinner and was like, I can solve this problem, so I will. And that, that always really stuck with me. I think that was a really important moment. I was really little, but it just, I still remember it to this day. Um, and I think that when you see those kind of moments where the person serving you has really anticipated what your needs might be and has thought about them and is ready to kind of um, make sure that they're all met, I think that that is kind of like, those are when things get really special and are really awesome. And, you know, I think that they happen more often than we would think. It's just, you know, whether or not you're in a frame of mind to recognize it or, you know, see it. And I think that that's a, you know, really cool part of life and restaurants and, and hospitality in general that is um, exciting to see. So I think that anytime somebody kind of notices and picks up on those little things that you might need is a really important opportunity to, uh, to recognize it, you know, good hospitality. And the kind of restaurant that had t-shirts. Correct. <laughs> that did that right? kind of thing. It's, it blew my mind. I was like, you know, I thought they would have just been like, there's your booth, you know? But yeah. They didn't. So, you know, that, that always stuck with me. And I think that that's always, we're always looking for little ways to do things like that whenever we can, you know, take care of it. Because at the end of the day, most people um, aren't used to that, you know? So if you can have that kind of experience, you can turn... You know, you can oftentimes turn big negatives into big positives with those kinds of things. And I think that it's about, you know, that general sense of care and making sure that the, the guest comes in and, and leaves happier than they were when they came in. And however you can do that, there are a lot of opportunities will probably arise throughout the evening. So it's, uh, I think, really great places focus on that. So you mentioned earlier uh, choosing places that, um, you know, work with farmers, Producer, so it, I wanted to ask about um, how you've noticed the pandemic affecting food supply chain like that and farmers and producers, and what have you seen from that perspective? Yeah, it's really interesting. Um, it's kind of a constant battle because not a lot of restaurants support farmers, and because of that, a lot of farmers do what they have to do and they find alternate revenue streams. So many of them focus on CSAs or farmers markets. And if that becomes their more productive revenue stream, restaurants are no longer a priority for them. And unfortunately, because of, you know, uh, I don't know, the desire to get more followers on Instagram, people will say that they use a farm when they don't really use a farm or put a farm on a menu and not actually support them. So there's a lot of, you know, sometimes there's bad blood between farmers and chefs. So I think that it's important to once again, understand what they go through. I mean, farming is some of the hardest work that you can do. And it produces such a beautiful thing and so many great farmers do it because they love it. And if you can find that kind of connection to them and work with them, it's, it's really special. So I would say that since the pandemic has occurred, that issue I just spoke about has been magnified a little bit because I think a ton of people that were no longer going to the grocery store signed up for CSAs and signed up for all those things. And so now you see a lot of those farms supporting that. And you know, I know how hard farming is, so God bless them, I want them to, to be as successful. And I also think that this is a big part of changing the model too, what I was speaking about earlier. But I think that, um, because of that shift, it's made it a little bit more difficult. For us, it was it was easier because we did all that work when we first opened. When we first came to town, 
I went and met a lot of the farmers in DC and um, what I did just to let them know I was serious was A, I offered them references from the farmers in Charleston that I'd been working with, which they thought was hilarious. But um, B, I just told them, look, I will buy, I'll, I will come down here to the farmer's market and I will buy all your stuff retail price for the first six months I'm in business just to let you know that I'm serious and that I'm not somebody who's going, and also I'm not going to ever put your name on my menu. And they're like, well, that's great because that's like one of their big pet peeves is restaurants that put their name on the menu and then don't actually buy from them. And sometimes it's not always as malicious as it seems. You know, dishes change, things happen, people make mistakes, but um, sometimes it is. So, you know, for me, I guess, you know, another thing that my mom kind of hammered into me growing up was like, you should do the right thing because it's the right thing. So if I got an A in school, I didn't get a gold star or an ice cream cone. She just said, you did what you're supposed to do. So using a local farm and using great product is just what you should do when you're operating a, a restaurant at a high level. So that's kind of the way that we looked at it. And whatever the cost was at first was the cost. So we built a lot of great relationships with a lot of really good farmers that allowed us to be able to, you know, carry through during the pandemic. But some of them went away, you know, and some of them decided it wasn't worth it. And um, it got, you know, tricky for a little while there, but now it's getting back to a good place again. And, you know, I think we're, we're back on track where we need to be. So. That reminds me of um, the Pulitzer Prize winning story. Did you all see from the Tampa Tribune about the, um, restaurants that weren't using that were saying they were using oh did someone bust that's great i wish journalists would do that way more often yeah it was <laughs> it was a great story um i mean horrible story but yeah very but well good done. that somebody did yeah i mean we we run it out a lot up by us because of um maryland crab chesapeake crab i mean good maryland blue crab i will put up against any any crab in the world however you can go to a lot of restaurants there that say it's like Maryland crab cakes and it's like Indonesian crab cakes, you know, and it's like, and, and there's no way to check it and there's no way to keep it in balance. They started a program a while ago that was like, you got some sort of a sticker, but all you had to do was order the crab like one time and you get the sticker. So there wasn't really a good checks and balances to keep it in, in shape. So it's, it's tough. And that's what I mean. It's like, there's not enough, there's not enough, um, information given to, to people lots of times to see that you know I think that unfortunately a lot of people think that if they go to a Michelin star restaurant or a very high caliber place that they're going to be buying all of these things but it is very often not the case so it just I think it's important to get to know the restaurants you go to and kind of understand them and see what their ethos is and what they do and how they do it and you know and support the ones that you agree with well, and there are so many, I think, that probably aren't very ethical. You yeah. Know, um, my friend in Nashville, Tandy Wilson, with City House, Sounds would probably know. He was, he was talking about this issue of how do we, you know, change the model. And he was like, well, we can't leave it up to most restaurateurs. Yeah. Because <laughs> a lot of, you know, maybe aren't. Um, oh, that's 100% you know accurate. I mean, that's part of, like, we really need a way to separate restaurants, that term. That term is like such a terrible term because it's like everything gets thrown into it. You know what I mean? It's like, um, I often talk about like, you know, I guess a comparison would be like, you know, the top law firm in the country being compared with like one in, you know, that's just ambulance chasing on the street corner in a bad neighborhood. And it's like, the 
there has to be some way to, to grade or separate different caliber places because the bottom line is when you hear a lot of people, especially the national conversation, gets spoken in such a way that it makes everybody in the restaurant business seem terrible sometimes and there are a lot of bad actors, especially at a, a larger level when there's many, um, you know, larger chain companies and then just, you know, but it's also like restaurants are a great way to do illegal things. So there's, unfortunately, there's a lot of stuff that gets mixed into it. And it's always so frustrating for people that have chosen this career path and are, are serious about it and want it to be something that's taken seriously. And I think that's part of what holds it down, especially in America, because you go to a lot of other, you go to Europe and no one uh, looks down on you for being a waiter or a chef or any of those things. You know, it's a totally respectable profession. So it's interesting, you know, we still have, we have servers at our restaurant that guests still ask like, well, what's your real job? And it's like, um, make very good money. <laughs> so it's like, I don't know what's the barometer for a real job, you know? It's a very strange thing, but you know, it is tough because it is not one way across the board. You know, there's not all restaurants are good, all restaurants are bad. It's just like everything else in life. There's really bad ones, there's really good ones, and everything in between. Um, let's see. Uh... So, talking about restaurants, um, would love your thoughts on burnout. <laughs> yeah. I feel like we probably all have burnout in whatever we do. Um, how do you handle that? How do you create a space for your staff where they can thrive? Yeah, I think that burnout is, um, that ties so perfectly into, you know, us not caring about ourselves enough and that being the, the major issue. And I think that there is such a, such a desire to be competitive and, and to, to be the best, especially in, in top level restaurants, that a lot of people really do look at it as like, well, if I work that extra day, if I do that extra thing, I will be better than the people around me and I can move forward and, and excel. And you know, to a certain extent, you do, to be better, have to do more than others, but there has to be some sort of a balance that is struck at some point because burnout is very real and the amount of great cooks and great employees that I've seen and you know known over the past 20 years that have you know one day just decided like enough is enough I'm over it you know and it's we always try to avoid that you know we put all these things in place where it's like you know number one if anybody hopefully we never get anybody to that point but it's you know first of all letting people know that it's okay to get there and we can get you a month off or whatever you need if you're there to relax and not make a decision from that terrible point of view that you've gotten to in your mind because a lot of people work themselves up so much just not communicating and not talking I think that you know kind of ties into some of the mental health issues that we have this country everyone keeps it private and doesn't ever speak about it and because of that you don't relate to anybody so you think that it's you and there's this very big problem with you and you have to you know run away or whatever, so, you know, trying to make sure that people have the tools they need to be able to, to move past situations like that, but like I said, we try to head it off early anyways, and it's simple things like, you know, we try to give our staff unlimited time off, it's a really hard job, so it's like, if you want to take two weeks off at the beginning of the year and two weeks off at the end of the year, I don't really care, you can have as much paid time off as you want, we just want to make sure that, you know, everything can function and everything's going good, and I think that, you know, certain breaking certain kind of norms and certain rules that were in place for a long time, unspoken ones about, you know, uh, 
kind of like the tough guy elements lots of times in kitchens and I mean maybe it's just me personally but like I notice a very big difference between my 20s and my 30s on how I physically feel when I you know get up at 6 or 7 a.m. and work till 1 a.m. can't do it it's not sustainable so there's no to me there's no point in setting up a business that can only function with operations that aren't sustainable. So you have to, we have to find a way to split things down, get shorter hours, make sure that people are able to have time off a little bit more. And I think that, you know, that ties into that big price question of making things more expensive and people, you know, understand that it's, it, you know, it's frustrating for us because lots of times the same people that, you know, will vote in their neighborhood or wherever for a higher minimum wage are the same ones that will say, oh, your hamburger is $20? Absolutely not. And you're just like, there is a real financial model that needs to be cared for here and it's only going to balance out, you know, if more money comes in. So I think it's very important to kind of realize that and I think that the good operators understand that the product that they give is worth the money and their guests will understand that and they don't gouge people, they make it a fair um, value and I think that that is really important in allowing those businesses to function the way that they need to and take care of their staff and their employees and you know pay them well and make sure that they have the time off and have the things that they need to be able to to do well you know and it's it's hard it's a, you know I'll freely admit that the first two years that we were in business for me I was very like go 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 had to be perfect everything had to be right because I had no accolades I had nothing to rely on and when you borrow a bunch of money from somebody and open a business, to me personally, that's a very serious thing. You know, I, I, I would I would rather you know work until I'm dead to make sure that I square that away than than not care about it. So I think that just like anything, though, you can find moderation and find ways to to operate that are you know. And I look back on all those things. And I'm like, did I really need to? to be that aggressive, do I need to go that far, did I need to, you know, work that hard? It's like, probably not, I probably could have backed it off, you know, a good 25% and still had the same result, you know, so I think that it's just being cognizant of it and thinking about it a lot and really understanding what what's going to get you the result and then what is overkill on that, so that's uh, something to think about a lot. What's something that you've, we talked about this a little bit, I think already, but something that you've learned um, over the past few days being here, and then also something that you hope to impart, even if it's through dinner tonight. And I don't know if you want to talk any about dinner tonight at all, or if you want to keep that till later. <laughs> yeah, um, I would uh, I would say that something that I learned that has like hit me here, something that I, I've been thinking about a lot, is that every employee here that I've run into seems genuinely happy. And that is, a, that is a really big piece, and that's something I always look for. And it's really nice when you find it, and it always makes me want to, like, you know, my brain starts going, I'm like, get a bunch of questions for Cassidy and some of the other managers, find out what they do, how they operate, because it's a really, it's a really cool thing to come across and to see, because that is how a business is going to function at its best. You know, fundamentally, if you can have make sure that your employees are happy and they want to do what they do, and, and guests can pick up on that. It's one of the easiest things in the world to do, just naturally as a human being. When somebody approaches you and you talk to somebody, it's very easy to tell whether or not it's genuine or it's forced. You know, and I think that that is a really wonderful feeling to have whenever you're staying anywhere, eating anywhere, any of that. Um, 
So I think that is a, a big thing that I've noticed. And just, you know, details also very big. This is super cool. My wife and I have been like struggling with how we are better about, you know, especially during the pandemic. It's like the idea of walking into like a Starbucks with a water bottle and being like, refill this for me wasn't a, was a no-go for sure for a long time. So having the thought for them, you know, it's not something they had to do, you know, but um, I think that that is really thoughtful and really cool um, to not just blow through plastic bottles and whatever all the time. I think that that's, that's one thing that we noticed that's big too. Um, but yeah, there's, I mean, there's a ton of little details across the board that are great and are very exciting to see. And it's always good, it's, it's always a big inspiration too because we, we look at how we can, in our own little small way, bring those little things back into the restaurant. Uh, as far as food is concerned tonight, I'm very excited to share with you guys a bunch of really fun stuff from the Mid-Atlantic and from the Chesapeake. And, and we, you know, we brought some seafood and um, we brought some really great produce and some really fun stuff. And I think that you guys will have a great time and enjoy it. So I can't wait to cook it for you. You know, we, we cook everything at the Dabney of a wood fire. So we have a huge wood burning hearth. It's front and center of the restaurant. And um, it's, a, it's a great way to cook vegetables in particular because it's such a high heat when you cook them and grill them they um, they really show their best because you can get a lot of that great texture and flavor still there um, so we're excited to uh, cook all this stuff I don't want to give away too much good surprises all right I've got one more um, I don't really like the last meal question because I feel like it's kind of morbid um, but you're <laughs> are you you're not 40 yet right nope okay so what would your what do you want to have on your 40th birthday Perfect. It's funny you say that. My wife Jenny and I are actually, speaking of this oxytocin, the burnout thing, we are going to, I'm going to try like hell to take off three months and just travel around the world for my 40th birthday. Um, travel is a big inspiration, huge inspiration. Um, I would say that it's probably going to be somewhere in France and you know, perhaps we we really have an affinity for uh, Trois Gros, which is an incredible restaurant in Rouen, France, that we love. And if I could get back there again, I think I'd do it for my first birthday. Awesome. Or a cheeseburger. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, I believe you have some cooking to do. I do. I do indeed. Yeah. We will uh, put together a very tasty meal for you guys. I hope you guys enjoy it. Awesome. Well, thank you so much and thank you all. Thank you for listening to the Blackberry Podcast. Continue following the journey wherever you subscribe. Thank you to our guests, interviewers, and audience. Dive into more stories, videos, photos, and podcast episodes on theblackberrymagazine.com. Make a great day.